Support for Recovery Talks, the podcast, and rockandrecovery.com provided by Ohio Means Jobs, Summit, and Medina Counties. Recognizing that looking for a job can be tough, especially if you're also navigating a path to recovery. Ohio Means Jobs, Summit, and Medina Counties offer career coaching, support services, and training for in-demand careers. For more information, summitmedinaomj.org. In the U.S., there's 11 million children under the age of 18 living with at least one alcoholic parent. When a parent is preoccupied with maintaining their dependency on alcohol, they often do not meet their child's basic needs. These needs include nutrition, safety, education, structure, consistency, affection, and healthcare. If these basic needs are not met, households are often filled with chaos and uncertainty. Today, we're talking about what happens to these kids when they grow up. They're adult children of alcoholics. That's up next on Recovery Talks, the podcast. Direct from Akron, Ohio, the epicenter of modern recovery. This is Recovery Talks, the podcast. From those in recovery to those working in recovery, meet those who are shining the light on Recovery Talks right now. Welcome everyone to this edition of Recovery Talks, the podcast. Uh, Today, we're talking about adult children of alcoholics, and our guest is Chrissy Youngblood. Chrissy is a mom. She is an insurance executive by day. She's also an animal lover. She loves gardening and music, and I know that because she's a huge music fan, and we often talk about music because we're friends. But um, I want to welcome to the show Chrissy Youngblood. Thanks, Chrissy, for showing up. How are you doing? I am doing great, Mark. Thank you for having me here to talk with you today. So this season, we're talking a little bit about uh, what it's like to grow up, maybe not necessarily being someone that self-identifies as a person with substance use disorder, but someone whose lives has been tremendously affected by someone in their life, maybe a parent, a brother, a sister. And that's your story. So why don't we start by telling Chrissy's story about uh, what it was like for you growing up. So it's on to you. Okay. Well, I grew up around here, around these parts in Northeast Ohio. Uh, in the 80s. Uh, The DARE and Just Say No programs were fairly new and commonplace in school. And I remember feeling very conflicted and confused about these programs because I understood their message. You know, drugs and substance abuse are bad and we need to say no to them. But, you know, I also knew as a young kid that there was substance abuse going on in my own home. So did this make my parents bad? You know, my home life seemed to be very different than other kids in my class. I mean, we were poor, we were on welfare, you know, I got free lunch. And then I had things going on at home that I don't think a lot of kids around me had going on. You know, I would never say that my childhood was all bad. I always felt loved by my mom. I always had food to eat. I always had toys. But there was a lot more chaos at home than probably what a lot of other kids were experiencing. So my mom had me when she was very young. She was 16. And she and my dad divorced when I was two. I mostly grew up living with my mom and her her boyfriend. And they were both alcoholics. And at that time, when I was younger, just dabbled in drug use from what I understand. My dad lived nearby, but he wasn't super involved in my childhood, uh, which I know can probably be attributed to his own alcoholism. 
you know, as I mentioned, I always felt loved by my mom. I know she was doing the best that she could, but due to childhood issues that she never really dealt with the right way, um, she chose to self-medicate with alcohol and other substances. There was also a lot of fighting in my house growing up. Never with my dad and my mom, but I, I saw my stepdad uh, abuse my mom several times, usually because they were both, you know, trashed. When that happened, what did you do? I really self-identify with your story. I mean, it's, it's something that, that I can remember the chaos of just like, oh my gosh, I would come home from school, I would be coming home from playing with my friends, and there would just be this just ball of like, you know, anxiety and stuff going on, chaos. And I would just walk in the door and just turn around and walk out. What, what, what did you do? Did you, I mean, did you go out? Did you play with your friends? I mean, what did you do to cope with it when you were that age? Well, I think one of the reasons why I always loved school was because it was sort of an escape. You know, it was a safe mm. place. Um, mm. And, you know, I kind of never knew what to expect when I came home. Right. You know, right. is today going to be a good day or is today going to be a bad day? Who's going to be at the house? You know, are they going to be drunk and fighting? You know, I oftentimes spent, I have a half sister, a younger half sister that I sort of grew up with. Uh, circumstances were a little different, but, you know, we would oftentimes lock ourselves in our bedroom and shove towels under the door. So the door couldn't so be open. Relate. So because relate. Because we were scared. You wanted to control, right? I just found myself Absolutely. outside of my house. You know what I mean? I needed to control. Like I would, if I had a, a, a sports game or something like that, I would go obsessively practice so that I could like be at least in charge of what those things I could control. So I'm just, I'm just, I'm inter interjecting there because I feel so deeply. I'm empathizing with your story right now. So please continue. Go ahead. So despite that chaos, I mean, I was a model student at school and, you know, I didn't mm -hmm. play sports. I didn't play any musical instruments or do really any extracurriculars, but I think that I probably, um, you know, put a lot of my energy into school and being a straight A student and doing the best that I could there. You know, I learned very early on to pretend everything was fine, you know, and hide what was really going on from my friends or even from other family members that really weren't aware of kind of how things were. In 1989, we moved from Ohio to a very rural part of West Virginia, and my little half-brother was born. My mom's boyfriend decided he was no longer going to work a normal job, and that was due to the house that we moved into was his family's home, and it had a junkyard attached to it, I suppose. And the plan was we were going to have a family business and run the junkyard and sell old car parts. Due to the lifestyle that, you know, my mom and, and my stepdad lived, that never really got off the ground. The drinking and the drug use got heavier once, you know, after we moved to West Virginia. You know, I was again the new kid in sixth grade, and I found that again, most of my classmates had very different lives than I did. Yeah, sixth, sixth grade, by the way. <laughs> oh my tough, gosh. It's a tough age. Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, I, I all I remember about sixth grade is feeling like I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. And and I was, all the other kids were somehow better than me. You know, it's it just every everybody's yeah, family exactly. was more together than mine. Everybody looked better than mine. Everybody was, you know, so I mean, mm -hmm. just 
that's just the most difficult time to move and to be. And that in, in and of itself is kind of a trauma, just to be uprooted, right? And to move to someplace where you have to make all new friends again. You know, man, that's tough. I get it. It was, it was hard. I mean, but I think there was part of me that thought, oh, I can kind of start over, you know, and I did make friends. Luckily, I made friends pretty easily, but I oftentimes found myself kind of jealous of my friends' lives because they always seemed, you know, like they had a better home life than I did and they weren't going through the same things that I was and their parents had good jobs, you know, and things like that. It was difficult, a little bit difficult after my little brother was born. You know, I was 11 years older than he Mm. uh, was. And so I oftentimes found myself playing mom to him, you know, during my teenage years because there always seemed to be parties going on no matter what day of the week, no matter if it was a school night, uh, because, you know, a lot of these people didn't have normal schedules and responsibilities. And, you know, with this kind of environment, you know, often come inappropriate people. And that was something that I also dealt with as a kid. You know, there were three different men that were friends of the family that acted in an inappropriate sexual manner towards me when I was a kid. One, when I was around seven, One, I was around 11 years old, and the other when I was about 15. And I did tell my mom about the first two shortly after it happened. And, you know, although they did confront these men initially, they remained friends with them, you know, so these people were still around. I don't think I told my mom about the last one until a few years later. So he was kind of always around too you know, at the parties and whatever that were at my house or at other people's houses. So, you know, that's something that now that I'm older, I've realized that way back when, when I was a kid, I never really learned how to formulate healthy boundaries for myself or stick up for myself. And that's something that's been tough for me, you know, growing up. These are things that are tough to talk about too, because, you know, how do you, how do you tell parents that aren't paying attention? You know, I mean, as a kid, you learn pretty quickly they're not listening. They're not listening. They don't get it. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I always felt that my mom listened. You know, she dealt with sexual abuse as a kid as well. Mm. And from what I understand about it, her parents didn't, didn't deal with it the healthy way either. Mm. Mm. And so I think, I honestly think she was just handling it the best way she knew how. You know, she didn't have healthy boundaries for herself. She had no self-confidence. She never stuck up for herself either. So in, in a way, that kind of response was just normal to her. Right. There's, no, you know? there's no school for parents, right? You know, all, you, all, that's you, true. all you know is what you, you, you've been taught by your own personal experience. So right. uh, I, I totally get that. It's easier to sweep things under the rug hmm. you know, than deal with those hard things sometimes, unfortunately. Um, so throughout high school, you know, I still managed to do really well in school despite you know, things that were going on at home. I remember being so excited about going on college visits, you know, during my junior year of high school and kind of, you know, daydreaming about attending and making my own way and thinking about this life that I never had, but I always wanted, you know, but at home, I really didn't have anyone encouraging this. And not because my mom didn't believe in me, you know, she knew that I was smart. She knew that I had potential, but a life like that was kind of always just meant for other people and not us, you know, that's kind of the, the attitude. So, you know, I graduated high school and I moved back to Ohio to get a job because, you know, that's what I guess I was supposed to do. 
And I left my mom and my little brother and uh, my stepdad behind. As a young adult, I had a knack for dating guys who weren't good for me, probably due to the lack of a positive male role model in my life, you know, father figure. I allowed people to take advantage of me and never really establishing boundaries again because I never had an example of what a healthy relationship should really look like. So I had been in a relationship for about a year and a half when all during the same week, I found out that this person had been using drugs behind my back, not showing up for work, and that I was pregnant. So, you know, that was not planned. I was terrified. Um, And then, of course, this relationship that I was in just kind of fell apart in front of my eyes. So due to, you know, what I found out, that relationship ended. I have not seen that person since. And I became a single mom at age 20. It was terrifying. (laughs) But at the same time, it was a really big turning point for me, you know, because I knew that I wanted a better life for my daughter and I did not want her growing up in the same environment that I did. So, you know, it was kind of like, what are you going to do now? And so I utilized public assistance to help take care of her. I worked part-time and I enrolled at a technical school uh, pursuing an associate's degree in business software. You know, at the time, I had no idea what that degree even meant, but I knew that I had to do something to, you know, set myself on a different path than what I had known up to that point. You know, I was able to get loans. I was eligible for the Pell Grant because I was low income. And, you know, at that time, I was living in kind of a crappy little apartment where she didn't even really have her own bedroom. And I wanted to move, you know, out of that kind of an environment. I was on Section 8, which is a program for low-income families that helps pay for rent. So I found a house for rent near Lake Anna in Barberton, and I called the landlord to express my interest, and I asked him if he accepted Section 8. He was very hesitant. He said, you know, he'd never, you know, kind of uh, dealt with that before. And I just pled my case to him. You know, I said, look, I'm a single mom. I'm working part-time. I'm going to school. I'm trying to better myself. This would be a really good opportunity for me and my daughter. You know, please, I will not let you down. He agreed. So he went through the process to accept Section 8. We moved into this house. um, And it, it was really wonderful that he gave my daughter and I a chance at that point. We didn't have a yard, but she had her own little room and a playroom. And, um, you know, as time went on, I graduated um, from college and I landed my first real job. Um, And I remember the day that I called my public assistance caseworker and I told her that I no longer needed the help. And I called my landlord and said, I can pay you your full rent now. Yeah. Wow. What a moment, (laughs) right? What a moment. It was. I mean, it was a really proud day for me. I grew up on welfare and I saw a lot of people abuse the welfare system, you know, as I grew up. And due to that, I had a lot of shame about accepting this assistance, you know, due to the stigma that surrounds it. But I also knew that I was using it the way that it was intended to be used and it got me on my feet and it helped me to be independent. What I'm watching is a very courageous person, you know? I can just feel it, just talking to you now. You know, just the ability to to just really just hang in there, just to put your mind to it and get through it. 
I mean, people talk to me a lot about, well, do you think the way you grew up had something to do with your eventual substance use disorder? And, you know, I guess maybe some of the tools that I personally chose, some of the, the, the things that I did to overcome the stigma that you're talking about of feeling like, you know, hey, we're, we're not the same as some of our kids. I can remember very clearly feeling like I was different than the kids I grew up with, very clearly. But I also feel like if there is a, a, a light side of, of my experiences that I had to learn pretty early on that if it was going to happen, it was going to be me making it happen. You know, and I, and I knew that I was just going to get in there and just make it happen. And this is what I'm feeling from you and your story so far. It's just everything you're saying to me is, is about, you know what? I got up, you know, I got out, you know, I got over it and I, and I went to work and made it happen. And just listening to you as our listeners, I'm sure we'll see just that little story about talking to your potential landlord. I mean, I just had a little shivering going on in the back of my neck, just listening to you talk about, you know, and I could feel you in that moment. I could almost see you in that moment. And, and I, I got to tell you right then, I'm giving you the apartment. <laughs> I'm giving you the place <laughs> because, you know, you're a person that just comes through as like, you know, really good intentioned, really, I'm going to get this done. And I, and I, I'm just so happy to have you here to tell your story. You know what? I think it's almost time for us to take a short break to, to hear a word from our sponsors. Uh, we're going to be back. We're talking to Chrissy Youngblood and we're going to be right back after this. Our lives are not lived sequentially. After all, we're not a DVR. We have lives that take us in multiple directions, and sometimes absorbing our favorite podcasts are done sporadically and out of sync. We might have large amounts of time to listen and get caught up on episodes, and other times life in general just, you know, gets in the way. But here's the thing. Every guest, every topic, every journey, from the darkness into the light, has been and will be captured and preserved at recoverytalks.org. Miss an episode? No, you didn't. Every one of them is safely stored and kept in one place, designed to be listened to whenever life allows it. Recovery Talks, the podcast at recoverytalks.org. Okay, everybody, we're back now. We're talking with Chrissy Youngblood, uh, and she's describing her story. And I tell you what, one of the things that I'm getting thrills and chills about is that this is not something that she has done a lot. And she's choosing to share it with us here on this podcast. Uh, so then I met, uh, who is now my ex-husband. But at the time, uh, honestly, he was the first man that I dated that was different. Uh, he came from a great family. He didn't have a drug problem. You know, he was stable. So we got married pretty quickly. Um, he adopted my daughter and we ended up having two more beautiful children. You know, in, in a way, um, in a lot of ways, that was the happiest time of my life, you know, up to that point, because I finally had a family, which is what I really just always wanted. Right. And plus, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a partner with a family that seems like these are normal people, right? Yes. What is that? How do we get that? Like, and I think part of the attraction for us is, is that, gosh, you know what? These are normal people. Um, this is what I want. I want, I want yeah. my family to be like this. I mm -hmm. want my family to be, you know, like everybody else's family. And sometimes we even fall in love with the idea of that, don't we? That, right, you know, that, right. And so I, I can I can really self-relate to that. So um, these are the good times are starting for you, right? You're feeling up and out. Yes. Yeah, cool. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it was a wonderful time um, in my life. You know, on the flip side, it was, it was sort of a difficult time because... 
it was hard for me to merge my history and my background with this new tribe of people who Mm. were completely different than what I was used to. Oil and water, oil and water, Absolutely, right? And you know, it's tough to go from one, especially when you have kids, to go from one, okay, here's Mm -hmm. normal people back into, because the questions start coming up with your kids. Kids see stuff. Well, Mm -hmm. mom, why why don't we go to this house? Things are like this. And then we go over this, things are like that. It's it's almost, it's difficult to explain all that stuff to you and to remain impartial, right? With all our baggage that we've got, right? And, you know, this group of people, you know, my ex-husband's family, you know, they never made me feel that way. That was, it was my own internal struggles, you know, that kind of, of feel that way. Yeah. Because yeah. I often, oftentimes right. found myself feeling, you know, like I wasn't good enough or I didn't deserve this better life. You know, everybody else always had a better family and a better house and more money and, no substance or domestic abuse around them. You know, they all went to great colleges and had great jobs mm. and titles and, you know, cool life experiences right. and lavish vacations. <laughs> well, when in reality, when, when we get behind true. their front that's, doors, that's they're all the same true. anyway, right? Then they've got their own craziness to Like sure. every family has like crazy family secrets and, and you know, there's always the one crazy part of it that nobody talks about so but when we when we grow up and we live with shame which is what we do right we always feel that that our life is is so much worse than everybody else's you know we we just can't talk about it we can't talk about it and that's what i did you know i didn't i didn't talk about it you know because it's kind of like what could i say you know it was just complete opposite in terms of class you know so while i was still married and i was actually pregnant with our youngest daughter my mom died um she was 44 Mm. which is really young. She had been in the hospital for about a week due to some breathing issues and not being able to move around well, which I wasn't really sure what was causing that. You know, she was still in West Virginia. I was in Ohio. My oldest daughter, my grandma and I went to visit her and in the hospital. And I remember acting like I was going to the vending machine, but instead I went to find the doctor to tell him that, you know, these issues that she's having could very well be due to the fact that she's an alcoholic and a drug addict. And I come to find out much, much later, this was the doctor who had been prescribing many prescriptions for her and other people in the area. So uh, the day before she passed away, we talked on the phone. She was very sad and apologetic for all of the things that had happened over my lifetime and my little brother's lifetime. You know, I told her that I forgave her and that I'm in a good place now. And I knew that she was proud of me. The next day she was released from the hospital and was at home. She called me while I was at church with my kids and she left a message. When I got home, I listened to it, deleted it. I was going to call her back the next day. She passed away that night. So I knew that her lifestyle was bad at the time, but I really didn't understand how bad it was. um, Because, you know, in my 20s, while I was raising my kids and living my own life, I didn't visit home as much partly because of just life in general, but also because of the things that I knew was going on there. Um, You know, I didn't want my kids around it. I wanted so badly for her to be a grandma to my kids. And she did love the time that she got to spend with them. But I also had to be very careful about how I allowed my worlds to merge, you know, and that was such an internal struggle for me. Um, She wasn't honest with me about her addiction because she knew how I felt about it. And I think that I just got to the point where I subconsciously just stopped addressing it because quite frankly, I was just sick of the chaos that it 
had caused, you know, my whole life up to that point. So after she died, I found out, you know, that she was heavily addicted to pills and she was even doing them while she was in the hospital. You know, my stepdad, her boyfriend was bringing them to her while she was in the hospital. And I, I don't tell this story about my mom, you know, to look down on her, her or paint her in a bad light in any way. I tell it because she was a beautiful mom and she taught me so many good things. You know, she, she was full of love. Um, she was sick. You know, she was sick. And I want people to understand that addiction is such a multifaceted situation, you know, and her story, you know, she deserves to be destigmatized because I know that she did the best that she could. So luckily, um, you know, I personally have never struggled with the illness of addiction. And, you know, it's a disease that genetically I could have inherited from both of my parents. You know, modern science will tell us that, that there are two real, real factors in, in substance use disorder. And one is a, a general bio predisposition. You know, um, it's not really exactly understood or known why. Maybe some people think it's a gene we may inherit that maybe skips a right. bunch of generations like any other illness. You know, some of my, my, my family members aren't diabetic, but I am. And there's a a, a group of thinking that believes that, you know, that's the same with substance use disorder, mental health issues also. But I can tell you one thing that I am aware of is that, you know, when you behave yourself into it, when you decide to choose to use and you behave yourself consistently, that is in fact one of the main precursors. And I'm, I'm thinking we're getting to the point now where you start to talk about, you know, what all this has meant to you and how, how you've, been able to cope with this and deal with this in your own life, just coming to grips with, and I'm sensing it's also something that you're, you know, you're, you're processing at this part of your life too. Absolutely. Like, as we do, right? As we grow through the aging continuum, you know, we look back and we have different perspectives on, on our lives and, and, and how things are affecting us and how, and we get to places where we can really stop in the mountain and look back and go, well, you know what, this meant this to me. And I'm, I'm really getting through now that you're starting to look back and say, you know, this is, this is where things are with me right now. And, you know, again, I, I just have so much respect from where you are. And, and at what point did you really start to really look at yourself like, you know, I really am an adult child of an alcoholic. I really am a, a person who has overcome, you know, growing up with a person with substance use disorder and how that's meant to your life is, I mean, at what point did you start to really start to think about that and, and start to feel that this is where I am? Yeah, I mean, obviously that was something I was always aware of, you know, my whole life. However, you know, as a kid and a teenager, you don't really think too deeply about it. And then, you know, throughout my 20s and 30s, I was busy being mom. You know, I was busy raising my kids and working and focusing on that was my main focus. So, you know, I really didn't think too hard about it. And then I hit my 40s and, you know, the, the 40s do mm. lots of things <laughs> to us, <laughs> you know. This year that I'm approaching, I'm going to turn the same age that my mom was when she passed away, you know, 44. And that age has been terrifying to me since 2006. You know, her birthday hit me really hard this year uh, in March. She would have turned 60, you know, and that's so young. So, you know, for the past few years, I've been sort of on an internal journey of just healing myself, you know, um, 
I went through a pretty rough breakup with someone who right after we got engaged, I found out they were being unfaithful and lying. You know, I thought this person was my best friend. That was a very difficult time for me. I ended up in therapy, you know, because of that, which was wonderful and a, and a lifesaver in a lot of ways. So true. It's so true. Chrissy. I mean, you break your arm, you go to a doctor, everybody signs your mm-hmm. cast and says, oh, great. You break your heart. Your head is hurting. People just don't get it. They don't understand. They really don't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my therapist, you know, helped me realize that, you know, what I went through as a kid, you know, it it's affected how I've approached relationships in my adult life. And, you know, I let people take advantage of me or I don't stand up for myself in personal and professional relationships. You know, then COVID happened, of course, and COVID has hit each and every one of us differently. For me, though, it was almost a good thing, even though it was a super scary and difficult and confusing time. But for me, I finally found myself with time to evaluate myself and my life and how far I've come and address the burnout that I had been experiencing and really didn't realize it. You know, I spent quiet quality time with my kids. We worked on our homestead. You know, the shutdown that we had in 2020 was kind of exactly what I needed to get myself out of high, high gear. Uh, that paired with therapy that I was going through just really kind of let me sit with my life experiences and think about how they've affected me and just feel the feelings, you know, which, which sometimes we have to feel those hard feelings. And then my kids, you know, I mean, my kids... Since day one, since I was 19 and I found out I was pregnant, you know, my kids have been my saving grace. And, you know, it was becoming a mother that set me off on the journey of breaking the cycle. You mentioned that I sounded courageous and I guess I never really thought that about myself. I just wanted to break the cycle. I wanted to grow up differently or have, you know, let my daughter grow up differently than, than I did. Showing up and being here for my kids and building a home that we can be proud of literally drives my everyday existence. You know, I'm, I want to be the adult that I needed as a kid. You know, that saying, that's so true. Isn't it the ultimate healing is to be able to go to bed at night and know that you live in a house that's so much different than what you grew up in, right? You can, you can when you're getting ready to shut down the, the, the world, I say, and, I, and I'll walk around and maybe I'll put Martin the dog out one more time and I'll, and I'll put things back in place. And I think to myself, you know, it, it's, this is my casa. This is my place. This is my, this is my safe place. And this is the place that I get to, to choose. And it's, it's safe and it's caring and it's loving. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm, I just right. feel that, that that's the healing in and of itself is to have that home. People that don't come from a home exactly. like that never understand what it, it means is. for people like us to be able to have the simple thing of a, just a warm, comforting home that is safe, right? It's, it's everything. It's everything. It's everything. And it, and it doesn't matter if it's a big house or a little house or, or what kind of house it is, but when it's warm and it's home, it's everything to people like us. It's everything. So, you know, now that you've been through all this and you're really starting to talk about it, I mean, what would you say to people who may have common experiences of yours? I mean, because this is a difficult thing. I mean, when, when we turn 
And I think what you mentioned before with the pandemic gave a lot of us an opportunity to sit back and go, what's happening with my world, with my life? You know, is this what I wanted? And, and I think most of, most of us will, will, will say that the really great part of the pandemic is we got to breathe. We got to just breathe and say, is this the life I want? Do I want this? And for a lot of people that I'm sensing for you also, it's not so much about what I want to do, but what do I want to stop doing? <laughs> what do I want to don't do anymore? I don't want to be running 20 hours a day. I don't want to be doing so much that I don't get to live my life and enjoy the people that I love and care for. So as you as you process through, I'm going to use the word metamorphosis, as you go through this process, this healing that you're doing of, you know, relationships that you have where you're saying to people, no, you don't get to be a part of my life. I'm sorry. Thank you very much. But you don't, you don't have permission to do this, right? And then you start to heal your home. What would you say to other people about that, that experience, about how you feel now that you've got to that place? And I talk about this a lot because, you know, one of the things that we, we talk about in the training that I've gone through is what would it feel like? What would it feel like to have the life you want? Right. And what I'm looking at on the screen, which our viewers and our listeners can't see, is I'm seeing a person that I'm sensing has the life that they've always wanted. Right. You got it. This is the life you wanted. What would you say to other people about that? How does it feel to have the life you want? You know, it's, I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful for the little things, you know. And, and I would say to, you know, any kid who may happen to hear this or any adult kid, you know, who went through the same things, who maybe hasn't found a way out, you know, you can do it. There is another life out there for you. It's, it might be difficult to get there. It might be difficult to find the path, you know, but hopefully, you know, they have the willpower and the belief in themselves that, you know, shows them that they can be anything they want to be. They can do anything they want to do. They don't have to be their parents. Don't have to be this tribe of people who they've been around their whole life. We're talking to Chrissy Youngbuck. She's finally discussing in her life now what it meant for her to grow up and to be now an adult child of an alcoholic or person substance use disorder. And as we wrap up this podcast, I need to say some things to you. Okay, number one, what I see in this person in our community is a person that's always willing to care and to give, and. Um, I don't know if you know this about you, but there's a lot of people around you that see that, you know, that you're very caring and you're very giving. And, you know, I just want to thank you for being a part of this podcast and for coming on here and telling your story because it's not easy, you know, and I want to tell our listeners, you know, just the amount of preparation that Chrissy went through to do this the right way, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I don't know if there's anything you want to say as we wrap up. We're, we're, we're kind of coming to the end now. But what would you say are, are the, the things that you do now that are the go-to and get you through things? You know, because we all have those days, man. I mean, we I do. had a couple of them this week that were like, you know, what, can this day possibly end quicker? Thank you. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know is it time for bed? Oh, no, not yet. You know, but what are the go-to get you through things that help you keep on track now that you you feel that you, you, you're moving along? You know, I love tending to things. My, my dear Aunt mm. Sandy said that I've been a mother since I was born. So, you know, maybe there's something mm. to that. But, you know, I love being a mom. I love tending to my plants, my animals, our little homestead. 
music has been huge my entire life. You know, music's always been there. Music's always been the constant when everything else was chaotic. And that my love of music comes from my mom. She was a huge Beatles fan. We would sing and dance around, you know, to music when I was a kid. So music's always there. Um, Sometimes when nothing else is. You know, and something else that's been great for me over the last couple of years, um, I rekindled a romance with someone who I dated almost two decades earlier. The universe decided it wasn't the right time then. Um, He is currently in active recovery from alcoholism. And that's something that, you know, he has started since we've been together over the last couple of years. You know, and even though I never struggled with dependency, I would find myself drinking due to social situations or using booze as an excuse to cure a bad day, you know. So, you know, I've obviously always had mixed feelings about alcohol because of how it has negatively affected my family. So I've decided to abstain from alcohol and walk beside him on this journey. And that's been something that's been super healthy for me to do. Um, You know, I've never known anyone close to me that's gotten better. Instead, I've just watched them deteriorate and get worse. And so being, you know, by his side during this process and just loving him um, has really been an inspiration for me. And, you know, I really want to thank you for the work that you do. Uh, as a peer recovery supporter and, you know, work on programs like Rock and Recovery. That means so much to me, you know, because I would love to be more involved in the area of recovery as I think it would help with my own journey of healing, you know, to hopefully help someone else. I'm proud to be um, a member of 91.3 The Summit that supports these programs in our area and is such an asset to this community. I can tell you that the, the game changer for a lot of us who walk in this community is when we have that paradigm shift, we realize that helping others helps us. Absolutely. The one moment in my life where I, where I really feel I realized, I think I can get well, is when I realized, wow, you know what? Helping to do whatever really does make me feel better. And there was nothing else that made me feel like that before, you know? So, you know, I just want to say thanks to, to you for, for coming on our show. We're, we're going to wrap up now, but I'm lost it for words with, with this podcast because I'm just so struck by, you know, your ability to, to, to really, to tell this story. And I'm sensing that it's, it's not something that you've done much before. And to be able to come onto this show and to say that and to do that is such an honor to us, to me, our listeners. And I want to thank you from the bottom of all of our hearts from doing that. It takes a lot of courage. And I know that may not be a word you're used to, but you better get used to it because I see a pretty courageous person here. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Recovery Talks, the podcast. Please stay tuned for, for more episodes. This will be our 44th episode of this show. And, uh, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for words here because I'm just so overwhelmed with, with emotion for this. But, you know, those of us that are in the community, you know, we, we, we try to highlight people that are holding up the lantern, that are the lighthouses. And you've just been listening to one. So please stay connected, stay standing, 
and uh, steady on.